the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do this every weekend on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. And uh, Alan Dempsey, engineering this weekend. We're grateful for his help. Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And uh, Dave Olson joins me in this first half hour, director of the American Church Research Project. We're going to talk about his new book, uh, out with IVP, Discovering Your Leadership Style, The Power of Chemistry, Strategy, and Spirituality. Uh, Dave, thanks a million for joining me. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you, Pat. It's great to be here. Tell me about your new book. Well, um, it is a work that uh, was sort of uh, gestating over the course of about seven or eight years. And uh, I have worked with young leaders in the Christian world, especially for 30 years. And so a big issue in the Christian world is how do you develop Christian leaders? And what happened was, is I was going to do a a retreat at a friend of mine at his church in Marin County, California. And when you go and do a retreat with their leaders and staff and that sort of thing, you have to have something to say. So I was, I was kind of working on something, and I was thinking about what are the foundations of Christian leadership? What are the things you would need to be good at to be a good Christian leader? And I came up with three legs of sort of foundations, and it sort of turned into a three-legged stool. And these three legs are spirituality and chemistry and strategy. And they're actually correlated to what I think are the two most important scriptures that Jesus said in the New Testament. It's the great commandment, and there's a great commandment, part A and part B. So spirituality is love the Lord your God. Chemistry is love your neighbor as yourself. And then the other most important thing Jesus said was the great commission. And to me, that's what strategy is. And so as I started working with this, I discovered a number of things. First of all, I discovered that everybody kind of knows which of these three, if you give them a brief explanation of it, knows which is their strongest. And so that was interesting to me. I didn't have to, like, coach them or help them figure it out too much. They intuitively knew whether they were strongest in spirituality, chemistry, or strategy. And also, they also knew what their weakest one was. And so that was really interesting. It was interesting to me that it was as um, valuable for lay people as it was for pastors. And all of a sudden, when I talked to people, the light would go on and they'd realize, oh, God made me really good at this. Hmm. And underneath all of this is one of the challenges I think all pastors have, lay leaders, lay people have, is kind of figuring out what God has placed you into this world for and what he has made you good at. And and I hope this book can be really helpful and enlightening to people in helping them understand that. So in a very simple way, you could say this, is if you're strongest in spirituality, the most important ways you can serve God is through using your spirituality to minister in the name of Jesus. If you're and in spirituality basically is helping people understand the story of Jesus and the deep things of God and the things having to do with the Christian faith and Bible and that sort of thing. Chemistry is that human connection with other people. And there are some people that God has just made really good at chemistry. They just love being with people, connecting, talking. That is the life, the thing that gives them the most life. If they were put in solitary confinement, they would feel so terrible. 
And so chemistry people have the ability to really love their neighbors, their self in an amazing way. And the strategy people, they're always thinking in the future and are thinking about how can we do things in such a way so that the future will be better, both in the kingdom of God and in the whole world we live in. And so strategy people are trying to make physical progress in the ministry of God in the world. So that was kind of stage one, and the first section of the book kind of unpacks that. Actually, the first two sections unpacks what spirituality and chemistry and strategy is all about. Dave, I'm fascinated uh, with section three. You call it the six leadership styles, and I want you to explain each one. So I'll tell you the style that you've written about, and then you fill us in, and then we'll move to the next one. Uh, the okay. the sacred leader. What does that mean? Well, um, to give you just a prelude of these six is how you find out which is your style mm-hmm. is you just get the sequence of your strongest, your intermediate, and weakest. So, for example, I am strongest in strategy. My intermediate leg is uh, spirituality, and my weakest is chemistry. And my wife is the one you just mentioned, is a sacred leader, and sacred leaders are strongest in spirituality, second in chemistry, and third in strategy. So the the three legs have, have six combinations, and those six combinations, each, there's a name for them. And where I came up with this is I'd been doing this about three or four years. I was on a plane on the way from Minneapolis to Los Angeles to work with a Hispanic group out in L.A., and I kind of got this revelation that it should have been too amazing, but it was really helpful for me. I, I realized what I just said. You know, if there's only three factors, there can only be six combinations of the sequence of those three factors. So I started thinking, I wonder if I could name these six styles of leadership. And I wonder if people in each style functioned in pretty similar ways that God used them in in ways and even had some personality connections similar and that sort of thing. So by the time I landed, I actually had figured out these six names and I was pretty excited to investigate are people in each group that they function in very similar ways. And because I do quite a lot of research as I kind of explored the people who had taken this free online inventory and that sort of thing, I discovered yes, each of these is a very distinct type of a Christian leader. So that's the prelude to it, Pat. The first one is the sacred leaders. And these are what you might call the holy ones, in a sense. These ones have an amazing gift to help people understand the deep things of God. And so you can look at, um, you know, in Scripture, and you can come out with who may have been the holy, uh, the, the sacred leader kind of people, uh, you can look in our world today, and you can discover people that would be like that. Um, and, and what they really focus on is they really want to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they have this ability to be able to um, communicate that with people. Sacred leaders um, are a really interesting group of people because— they tend to be somewhat humble and reticent, somewhat on tooting their own horn. Um, very often, sacred leaders have a great love of beauty, and they want to express that in some way. So I will very often talk to a sacred leader, and I'll ask them this question. Do you have any interest in art, music, craftsmanship, or um, writing? And almost all of them will, they will, won't say anything. They'll just nod their head up and down and go, yes, yes, I, I like doing those kind of things. And, and what it is, is this deep spirituality within a person has to find some way of expression to be able to communicate in the physical world what they're feeling. And so they do it by speaking, they do it by writing, they do it by art, they do it by these kind of expressions. And so that's one of the things that's interested interesting about sacred leaders. Um, Another thing, if you get the book, is there is a chapter on that talks about how it correlates with the Ephesians 4.11 gifts. 
And so in Ephesians 4.11, it talks about apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and prophets. And the sacred leader very often has a gift of a teacher. So they can be very helpful in communicating Scripture and the things of God, whether it's one-on-one, a small group, and a larger group. Um, They're very good at that. Dave Olson is with us from Minneapolis. We're talking about his new book, Discovering Your Leadership Style, The Power of Chemistry, Strategy, and Spirituality. Uh, More with Dave Olson right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Are you a mentor of young pastors? Hi, Bill Files here. You've heard me talk about half-price tuition. Now we have a great new program where pastors seeking a master's degree in divinity, biblical studies, or theology can purchase tuition to seminary in Central Florida at half price. No catch, no kidding. If you or someone you mentor could benefit from our half-price tuition program for master's degree programs in seminary, I hope you'll give me a call. 407-618-1760. Or visit our website, WTLN.com, and click on Amazing Radio Deals. Master's degrees in divinity, biblical studies, or theology at seminary in Central Florida at half price. Tell a friend about this incredible opportunity for first-year master's degree students. Half-price tuition, now for seminary. Financing is now available for seminary half-price tuition. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com for details. Hey folks, Alan Thick here. America was built on the idea of new beginnings of fresh starts. But if you owe money to the IRS, you know it's hard to have a new beginning when you can't get away from tax problems of the past. Worse yet, you could be facing wage garnishments, bank levies. They could even seize your home or business. Truth is, a fresh start with the IRS is possible. The attorneys and agents at Optima Tax Relief are experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, the official IRS program that could significantly lower your tax debt if you qualify. It's one of the big biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. Optima's team works to get you the best possible tax settlement, ensuring you pay only the minimum amount and not a penny more. Optima has an A rating with the Better Business Bureau and saves its clients millions every month. If a fresh start is what you need, Optima is who you want. Call 800-711-5743. That's 800-711-5743. 800-711-5743. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. My guest is Dave Olson from Minneapolis, uh, director of the American Church Research Project. And uh, his new book is out, Discovering Your Leadership Style. All right, Dave, the second leadership style is called the relational leader. Fill us in. Relational leaders are strongest in chemistry, intermediate in spirituality, and weakest in strategy. So they have amazing interpersonal chemistry. They have an amazing gift of helping people and groups experience love in a real and personal way. And I can tell you, Pat, I have a lot of friends who are relational leaders, and uh, I love hanging out with each one of them because when you're with them, they have this ability to communicate love and connection to you like almost no other people can do. And um, it's, it's just a remarkable kind of thing. If you think about the context of a church, and imagine being a pastor for a minute and think, if you had a lot of people who are great at loving individuals, would it be helpful for them to know that's their best gift and implement that into how they serve Christ in the church? You know, what an amazing gift that would be for a pastor to know who these people are. And uh, that's who relational leaders are. They're the great lovers of individuals. And, you know, I always think if there's any central story of the gospel, it's a story of love. And relational leaders communicate that through their lives and their connection with you. And now we move to the inspirational leader. All right. Well, these are also strongest in chemistry, but their second is strategy and their weakest is spirituality. 
And these have an amazing gift of motivating both Christians and seekers to desire a stronger connection with Jesus and to positively change society. Almost all people who are really good public evangelists would be inspirational leaders. So Billy Graham would be an inspirational leader. Craig Rochelle would be an inspirational leader. And they, uh, the, the, the Ephesians 4.11 gift that they have is the gift of an evangelist very often. What's interesting about them is um, they have uh, uh, the ability, they have social intelligence. And again, there's another chapter on the six types of intelligences, and each style has a different one. They have social intelligence, which they, when they're with a group, they really know how to be excellent in communicating and connecting with a group. And because of this, they really know how to connect with people who are non-Christians as well as Christians. And what most of them are really good at are trying to find a way you can help people make a difference in their world by doing something significant physically. So they're not happy just helping people, motivating, promoting things, but they want to make sure that there's real physical change in the, in the world because of what they're doing. And now I want you to talk about the building leader. All right. The building leader is one of the two that is strongest in strategy, and their second is chemistry, their weakest is spirituality. Uh, an example of this in a, a current pastor would be Bill Hybels at Willow Creek. Uh, he's a building leader. They have an amazing gift of bringing people together to achieve physical progress and organizing and expanding the kingdom of God on earth. For building leaders, there's two words they love, more and better. And they spend their whole life trying to help the kingdom of God have more people involved and doing better ministry. And so building leaders do what the name describes. They like taking something and building it. They like expanding it. They like organizing it. Usually building leaders fall in one of those two categories. Some building leaders are great at organizing and kind of work behind the scenes to help things get stronger. Other ones like expanding things. So they're really designed for growth and try to help churches, ministries, that sort of thing grow and and, and impact a greater number of people. The mission leader is next. All right. Well, that's the one I am, so I know that one very well. It's strongest in strategy, intermediate in spirituality, and weakest in chemistry. And these people have an amazing gift of helping people see what God could accomplish if they left their safety zone and stepped out in faith in a new venture. Um, Mission leaders like getting the mission of God out there in the mission field. And so if a mission leader is in a church, what they want to find out is how do we get the ministry outside of the walls of our church? If very often mission leaders are people who would want to go to a different culture, a different nationality, a different country, they want to get it out there. And they're really, it's interesting how they use their strategy. The Intermediate leg is what I call your secret weapon, which is kind of the how you use your strongest leg. So building leaders use our our intermediate in chemistry, and they use their human connections to convince people to help them build things. The mission leader uses their spirituality to tell the gospel in such a way so people realize that we're called to go. And so mission leaders have always been very important in getting the mission of God outside the church and into the mission field. And then we've got the imaginative leader. Okay. And this one circles around its next, this whole thing is, is in a circle of six. And this is next to the um, sacred leader, the very first one, because they're both strongest in spirituality and imaginative leaders are these really creative people. So an example would be, Uh, C.S. Lewis would have been an imaginative leader. They have an amazing gift of engaging their culture by communicating Jesus in a fresh and creative way that both attracts yet challenges their culture. And so they have the spiritual gift very often of a prophet. And a prophet has kind of two roles. One is if, if they don't know how to connect with culture, no one will listen to them. 
but they also sort of connect against culture. They challenge their culture about anything that destroys the good creation of God. So imaginative leaders are really excellent communicators and are really helpful for Christians and churches to help communicate the gospel, especially for a younger generation, is they take the gospel and use their cultural intelligence to make it really fresh and alive and allow Jesus to become really uh, alive in the life and culture of the people that, that uh, are the culture they're living in. Are leaders born or made, in your opinion? And, and, well, you know, I, I actually think it's both. And um, what I found in this is, uh, for most people, if you knew them when they were a teenager or a child or even a small child, you could probably sometimes guess. Uh, my wife and I have four kids, and um, we um, have two strongest in spirituality, two in uh, in our family of six, two are strongest in spirituality, two in chemistry, and two in strategy. We cover five of the six styles as a family. And it's kind of fun because, so for example, um, our youngest daughter is an inspirational leader, an inspirational Christian. And when she was a baby, when she was a year, two, three years old, you could actually see some of the things, her engagement with people her interest in connecting with people and influencing and getting you to do what you wanted and some of those kind of things. So there's a part of that to me is a God gift to people. And again, I find Christians and especially lay people are extremely interested in trying to figure out how has God made me and how am I supposed to serve him? Having said that, it's also takes work and it takes development. And one of the things I try to encourage everyone in with this model is very simple. Uh, to me, the person who is the greatest example of this model is Jesus himself. And I ask the question, how was Jesus at spirituality? Well, obviously, as the Son of God, he was quite good. Uh, how about chemistry? How could he connect with people? He was amazing at connecting with individuals, with small groups, and with crowds. He was an amazing connector of people. And how was Jesus at, at strategy? Did Jesus know how to make physical progress in the kingdom of God and get the gospel out into the world? He was amazing at that. And so for me, as a follower of Jesus, to say, well, I'm good at this, but I'm not as good at this, so I don't even have to bother with that, to me that doesn't work. I feel like God's calling me to become better at all three of these because God wants me to love God more. He wants me to love people more, and he wants me to love the world by helping fulfill the mission of God in the world. So I answer that by saying yes and yes. What other biblical personalities do you admire as leaders? Well, um, you know, that's a great question. Um, in, in uh, the uh, book, there's a chapter on these six styles, and um, it lists uh, three to six biblical people in each one that would fit each of the styles. And, and so I'll just mention a couple of ones. Um, Mary, um, Martha's sister, would be a sacred leader. Uh, the, the writer John, the, the apostle John, would be a sacred leader, and, and they want to go deep into Christ and they're the holy ones of God. Um, the Apostle Paul is a mission leader and was very good at getting the mission of God out there in the world. Um, then you get people that can be a little more complex. You get, like, I think about Moses, for example, and I go, oh, boy, part of it is he was perhaps an imaginative leader, um, really creative and in communicating what God had told him and, you know, what the instructions of God were. Um, uh, but he also was a mission leader. He was the one that led the children of God to the new promised land and that sort of thing. So, you know, you can take it almost anybody in the scripture. And when you understand the model, you can get a pretty good guess which one they were. 
And I don't want to claim that I'm infallible and can say, well, this person is exactly that one. But it does help you kind of understand what they did, why they did it, and why they had the ministry fruit and and how God used their gifts to serve him. My guest is uh, David Olson. David, um, what is the difference between a good Christian leader and a good leader in any other field, corporate world, sports, etc.? Right. Yep. Well, to me, the difference is that you are driven um, as a leader uh, to lead like Jesus and to follow the ways and pathways of Christ. And the answer to that, obviously, is a, it's a big answer. And I know you, Pat, have written a lot of amazing books that are trying to do the same sort of thing, helping people think through what it means for a Christian to lead and, and, and what that means. You know, for me, uh, in a very real sense, it is trying to let my life um, be built with foundations that reflect the kind of things that scriptures talk about. One of the things that you'll find in the second section of the book is it talks about the 12 core foundations. And what it does is it takes spirituality, uh, chemistry, strategy, and then the seat of the leadership stool is leadership wisdom. And for each of those, there are three most important core foundations of that. So, for example, for spirituality, the three core foundations is saturated in Scripture and is devotional or spiritual practices. And, uh, oh, Pat, I'm blanking on the last one. Oh, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so my way of looking at it is if you want to be stronger in spirituality, you need to become saturated in Scripture. You need to spend time with devotional and spiritual practices. and You need to develop sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is saying for you. In chemistry, it's uh, interpersonal chemistry, team chemistry, and crowd chemistry. Uh, there's three for strategy, and then there's three for leadership wisdom. And so for me, it's really important as a Christian that we're not just satisfied with where we're at, but we're letting God continuously shape us and form us into the image of Christ. Dave Olson has been our guest. His book, Discovering Your Leadership Style, <clears throat> The Power of Chemistry, Strategy, and Spirituality. IVP is the publisher. Dave, a million thanks. Wonderful visit. And uh, I'm so glad we could hook up here. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Pat. It was great being on with you. We will have a wrap-up right after this. Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Hello, this is John Butler Book, and I want to cordially invite you to listen to my radio talk show every Sunday evening from 8 to 9 p.m. You know, we suffer from three kinds of individuals in our country today, the misinformed, the uninformed, and worst of all, the chloroformed. I don't want you to become one of those who is misinformed, but informed and spiritually motivated and activated to become a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. On the new 950 WTLN, every Sunday evening from 8 to 9 p.m., I'll wait to hear from you. God bless you. Here's Martin Renforth, president of Above and Beyond AC. When you purchase any system or service from Above and Beyond AC, I'll send a check to your church for 10% of your purchase. No matter how large or small, I'll send 10% of the purchase directly to your church. That's the Above and Beyond 10% promise. At Above and Beyond AC, we know you have a lot of AC companies to choose from. We hope you'll choose us, but we encourage you to get two quotes. You'll find that our pricing is always transparent and competitive. Call 407-483-794. Right now to schedule a no-cost replacement estimate for your air conditioning needs. That's 407-483-7945 for Above and Beyond AC. Remember the Above and Beyond 10% promise. When you purchase any system or service from Above and Beyond AC, we'll send a check to your church for 10% of your purchase. Call 407-483-7945 right now to schedule a no-cost replacement estimate for your air conditioning needs. Call 407-483-7945. 
The new Pray With Me prayer app is connecting thousands of Christians around the world in experiencing the power of prayer. Connect your Facebook friends and mobile contacts to share requests. See a map of those praying around the world. Set reminders to pray throughout the day. And join prayer groups. Visit PrayWithMe.com to join this worldwide yet personal 24-7 Christian prayer community. Receive prayer. Pray for others at PrayWithMe.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Dave Olson, our guest in that first half hour, uh, talking about discovering your leadership style. Uh, Mark Lanier is in Houston. I'm so glad that he's joining us, one of the top trial lawyers in the United States. His new book is out. It's called Christianity on Trial. A lawyer examines the Christian faith. IVP is the publisher. What uh, gave you the idea to write this book, Mark? What was the reason behind it? Pat, uh, I I thought we have in the court system, and and this is where I've made my living for the last 30 years, we have in, in the court system in America the best that civilization has ever devised uh, for a system that will determine what is true. We have enough confidence that the American court system works, and there are checks and balances and appeals and things like that, but we have enough confidence that we'll use the court system to decide whether or not to give the death penalty to someone, to take their life, to take property, to uh, assign children from one parent to another. If the court system where I live and breathe as a, as a, a, a true practicing lawyer, if that court system is that good, why don't we take those same tools and principles and examine the basics of the Christian faith to see would they hold up in a court of law? Could I use a courtroom to persuade a fair, unbiased jury of Christian truth? I thought it was worth a try, and that's what the book is. Chapter 1 is called an opening statement. What is it? Well, any trial that you have begins with an opening statement, and that's where you tell the jury basically a roadmap of where you're going to go. And so in the opening statement chapter of the book, I explain to the reader that the the, the format the book will take. This is a book that's going to be examining evidence for a number of different aspects of the Christian faith. It's not simply, is there a God? But if there is, what kind of God is uh, he or she or it? Uh, uh, Beyond that, what is the nature of humanity? Are we uh, uh, people with a choice? Are we people who have no choice? Does God care about us? Is it reasonable to think that God would communicate with us through Scripture? Is it reasonable to think that if God did communicate with us, Scripture would be how? Um, Do we uh, uh, truly make choices in this world, or are we uh, just a combination of DNA with uh, environmental uh, uh, interactions with our DNA? All of these are uh, stories that, that, uh, and issues that we need to look at uh, and we'll look at through the process of the trial. God, gods, or nothing. That's our second topic. Yes, Pat, here's, here's the question that we have. <clears throat> so many people have a misunderstanding of a view of at least the biblical God. And and it's one where we've got to try and, and erase the chalkboard, if you will, or the whiteboard of what people think of God before we try to examine a biblical God. Before we can put Christianity on trial, we need to rid people of false perceptions of what Christianity is and what the Christian God is. And so, for example, some people think God is simply your conscience. And the, the biblical teaching and, and the Christian concept is that that's not a God at all. Um, uh, uh, and so it's, it's uh, not a fair one that we need to be weighing. So we set that concept of God aside. Other people think that God may be like a, the Star Wars force, that it's just this good 
positive vibe in the universe, uh, uh, and, and, and we need to set that aside. And, and so we explain why these different perceptions of God, life of Pi, the idea that, that God is one of many roads to a mountaintop, and, and uh, it may be God, it may be Buddha, it may be just some transcendental meditation, it may be whatever it may be. We, we need to erase bad images of God from our brain before we put the Christian God on trial. So I try to do that in that first chapter, or in that second chapter. Uh, another, another typical problem, of, even among Christians, is they see God as some traffic cop who's looking to write people tickets when they mess up and keeping track and tally of how many good things they do versus how many bad things they do. And that's really not the Christian perception of God at all. And so we take all of those different perceptions and we try to first erase false impressions from the minds of people. And then we can start looking and examining at a a fair and accurate uh, representation of of what the Christian faith teaches about God. Then I want you to talk about who God is not. Well, he's not a traffic cop. He's not a... uh, uh, he, he's not uh, this this uh, impersonal force. He's not uh, your conscience. If if we want to try and understand whether or not God is one thing or another, the the best thing we can do is go through a personal inventory in our life. We can sit down and write. Okay, what is my perception of God? Now we've got a lot of people, and and this is. Now, I'm melding back into a little bit into that first question you asked me, but we've got a lot of people who think of God as just maybe there, maybe not there, and and for them, God's an ambiguous question mark. And so what we try to focus on in the book is, is that truly what we think of God, and is that perception of God consistent with the way we live our lives? Because most people live their life as if there is a God, even though they don't acknowledge it intellectually. I've talked to, in fact, I relate a number of conversations in the book, um, talked to a number of atheists and agnostics who will say, I don't think there's a God but whose lives are lived as if there is one. I, uh, one of the interesting stories for me that I tell is a story about a fellow who's sitting next to me and, and pressing me on this. He's a lawyer. He's a well-known, uh, famous lawyer in America. And he comes to me and says, okay, Lanier, you're a famous lawyer in America. I'm a famous lawyer in America. You believe there's a God. I don't think there's a God. And I said, oh, come on. And he says, no, I really don't. And I said, well, then why do you do what you do? Why do you try to help people? And he said, because I want there to be good in the world. And I said, what do you mean by good? And he says, well, you know. I said, no, no, no. I think when you use words like good, you're, you're speaking as if there's a God that would give a definition of good. I said, if there's no God, what is good? Good is, is good whatever makes me happy. If it makes me happy to steal your car, is that a good thing for me to do so I have a car? If it makes me happy to take money out of your wallet when you're not looking, is that a good thing to do? And he said, well, no, that would be bad. I said, well, what makes it bad for me to take money out of your wallet? He says, well, it's uh, it's illegal. And I said, okay, so when when we do something that's illegal, it's bad, but, but we write the laws. What if we change the laws? Would that make it a good thing? And, 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 and I just kept pressing him, and, and, and the chapters, the first two, three chapters press on how people live as if there's a God, even though they're denying that that God exists. And that's what we try and probe. Then I want you to talk about who is God, part one, and who is God, part two. Well, those are the next two chapters in order, Pat, and, and God is infinite. He's not a limited God. He's not a God who has uh, 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 limitations in time, in space, uh, in knowledge. He's infinite. But beyond being infinite, he's also personal. By personal, we mean that, that he has, uh, he's not a supercomputer. He has some measure of what we would call personality, even though it's not a human personality, and we don't want to turn God into a human. 
Um, but but God is is infinite. He's personal, and perhaps highlighted in the book most, God is a moral God. God Himself has moral character, moral traits. In the Bible, it speaks of God being love. It speaks of God being truth, and 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 that's that's God. God is morally a truthful being. He does not lie. Lies are something that are ungodly. And so for the believer, for example, we are able to attribute good and use words like good because they have meaning. They reflect the character of God. We don't get caught in the trouble my lawyer friend was in the story I just told you about of not being able to define what good is. Good is who God is. And when we see God, we see good. And now, Mark, I want you to talk about biolinguistics and the communicating God. You know, it's really interesting, Pat. We uh, were born with a brain that's hardwired for language. Mm. And the, the, the studies that have come out, and this was really advanced since 1960, the late 50s into 1960, by a, a linguistic scholar out of MIT that's, that's world famous, and, and I quote him quite a bit, a bit in the book. But, but our brains are hardwired. If I say to you, Pat, today I'm going to climb a ladder, and you say, yes, yes, you'll climb a ladder. And then I say, but Pat, if I did it yesterday, how would I say it? And you would, you, you'd answer me, you'd say, Mark, yesterday you climbed a ladder. Yeah, at ED. And I say, that's right. Now, if I was going to fish today, I'd say, I fished today. You see, yes. I say, Pat, if I was going to say I did it yesterday, how would I say it? You would say, Mark, you fished yesterday. Now, if your listeners will pronounce those words, climbed, past tense of climb, and the past tense of fish, fished, you will notice that in climbed, you're actually pronouncing a D at the end. But in fished, you've changed the D to a T sound. That involved hundreds of muscle changes. There are hundreds of small little muscle fibers that you've changed to reconstruct your entire mouth to turn the same ED sound into a T sound. <laughs> and if I ask you why you did that, you wouldn't be able to tell me why, and most of the listeners wouldn't be able to tell me why. There's a small grammar rule that's buried deep inside our brains, and all of those changes that need to be done, and there are 256 or so muscle changes for each sound you make, all of those muscles, it just happens for us. We just say it because our brains are hardwired for language. Now, here's the issue. In a human being, in a human race, whose brain is hardwired for language, if the God who knows us wants to communicate with us, how's he going to do it? He's going to do it through language. That's how we're built. That's how we're made. That's how we're hardwired. And so the reasonable thing, the reasonable, what you would reasonably expect to be true is that a God, if there is a God, and we've dealt with that in the earlier chapters, but assuming that it's most reasonable to conclude that there's a God who is infinite, who's personal, and who's moral, then if that God has a loving interest in humanity, isn't it reasonable to expect that God, through words, through language, to communicate with humanity? And that's what uh, the basis for Scripture is. Next topic, my guest is uh, W. Mark Lanier, author of Christianity on Trial, A Lawyer Examines the Christian Faith. Next topic, Mark, reality and the God of truth. Well, I think probably many of your listeners have seen uh, some of the movies that challenge what is real. Uh, They've probably seen uh, uh, any number of those movies, whether it's The Matrix or, or, or whatever it may be. But There is uh, always a question with each of us, and it's been around for centuries. It's been around for millennia. Is is this whole thing real? Could we be dreaming? There was a Chinese philosopher who existed several hundred years before Christ named Shin Tzu, who said, last night I dreamt I was a butterfly, or I am a butterfly right now dreaming I am a human. And, and, and it's, it's uh, just that question of, of how do we really know what's real? Rene Descartes, 
uh, is, is a famous philosopher in the Western tradition who questioned, how do we know what is real? And he's the one who said, I think, therefore I am. And his idea was, okay, I'm going to accept that I'm real because I'm thinking, and I'm going to build from me to logically conclude everything around me is reality, and it's not some dream. Mark Gladier is with us. we got one more segment with him as we talk about his book, Christianity on Trial. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Have you ever heard God's whisper? Sometimes it's easier to see where God whispered to us when we look back in time, but more difficult in the moment. This may be one of those times. If you or someone you know is pregnant, adoption is a positive alternative and a truly brave decision you don't need to make alone. Life for Kids is a private, nonprofit, Christian and licensed adoption agency serving women who are pregnant, their unborn babies, and the adoptive families who are praying you will choose life. Life for Kids offers compassionate counseling, adoption planning, information, and support. Have you considered adopting? Life for Kids serves Christian couples called by God to adopt, and they've placed children into loving Christian homes for over 20 years. Is this the whisper you've been waiting for? Adoption is a positive choice. Life for Kids will walk with you on your adoption journey. Visit lifeforkids.com. That's lifeforkids.com. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Dr. John Brooks. Families by Designs airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 950 WTLN. Make your day a little brighter with God Vine videos. For the best cute and inspiring videos to lift you and strengthen your walk with God, visit us today at GodVine.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. On the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. My guest, Mark Lanier from Houston, the book Christianity on Trial. The next topic, Mark, Right, Wrong, and the Moral God. In this chapter, I decided, Pat, all right, uh, I'm a lawyer. I've tried cases all over the United States. Uh, If I got hired to defend Adolf Hitler... I had no choice in the matter and had to do it for war crimes. How would I go about it? And I address that in this chapter because I'm convinced one of the most compelling arguments for the existence of God is the argument for the existence of good and evil. I've never met anybody who seriously would not agree with me that what Hitler and the Third Reich did was evil. It is evil. It was evil. And and everyone will agree. The question then becomes one of an intellectual exercise. Why is it evil? I mean, Hitler's going to say all he was doing was helping evolution along. He was culling out what he considered to be genetic inferiors. What he did did not violate the laws of Germany. He passed laws such that what he did was legal. And so, uh, you know, and, and Hitler was legally elected as the Fuhrer. So what is it that Hitler did that we're able to say was evil? Well, now, if we're Christians who understand God to be who he is, then we're able to say Hitler violated the rights uh, uh, and dignity of, of humanity as set up by God. He, he did something that transgressed God's laws. There's no question what he did was evil. But if you take God out of the picture and there is no God, and all we are are evolved beings. I mean, lions kill lions to make the herd better. There are all sorts of animals in the animal kingdom that that cull out those lesser desirable elements to stop them from breeding so that the the purer, better elements can continue to breed. In fact, this is the whole premise behind evolution. That's supposedly what developed the human race, according to the evolutionists. And so if all of that is true, then if you take God out of the picture, what did Hitler do that was 
wrong. That's the issue I address in that chapter. And now, free will, moral responsibility, and the infinite, just God. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Pat. Uh, uh, Do we have free will? Can we actually make choices? Are we more than just the genetic and environmental uh, uh, products of of chemical reactions going on in our brain? Uh, B.F. Skinner would have said, no, we are not more than that. Uh, He wrote a book, Beyond Freedom and Dignity. And he said, there's no more dignity in humanity. There's no more freedom. We only do whatever we uh, will do based upon our genetics and the environment. And I argue against that and say that's not the, the, the common sense experience we all have as humans and, and, and pursue that from a biblical perspective as well. Now, the audacity of the resurrection. I'm eager to hear this one. Pat, I'd ask your listeners if they have any doubt about what I'm saying to Google my name, Mark Lanier, L-A-N-I-E-R. I'm not a fellow who just goes down and tries a case here or there. I try cases all over this country and have uh, – I I just Google my name and see if I know what I'm talking about as a lawyer because here's the issue. In a courtroom, what we do to establish proof is we look for what's the most reasonable – of fact. So is it more reasonable that Jesus was resurrected or not? Put it in scales. Put the evidence in the scales. On one side, put all of the evidence in favor of a resurrection, which I do in the book. On the other side of the scales, put the evidence against a resurrection. And the only real evidence you'll have against the resurrection of Jesus, the only real evidence there is, is simple. It's this. That just doesn't happen to human beings. Human beings don't die for three days and then come back. Doesn't happen. Never seen it. Never seen it documented. Doesn't happen. That's the only argument against the resurrection. And in a way, that argument is actually one for the resurrection, because the claims of Christianity is that Jesus was not simply a human being. He was divine. He was the Son of God. And so if you believe that there's a God, and you believe in the chapters that have preceded this, that there's true moral wrong, and the true human choice, and there, there's a personal moral God, then the idea of a resurrection of Jesus, the most reasonable interpretation of the evidence, is that it's fact. It's not just made-up theology. It's absolute fact. It actually occurred. And that's the most reasonable interpretation of the evidence. If you don't carry a bias into this, if you don't already make up your mind ahead of time, I'm convinced the most reasonable interpretation of the evidence is for the resurrection. Next topic, death and eternity. You know, you can have a resurrected Jesus, but if it doesn't translate into a future for us, it's still a bleak and dark faith. And Paul says that to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But we reiterate that in this chapter. We look at what is dealt with as the hope of the resurrection, is what it's called in Bible terms. But the biblical word in the New Testament for hope, the Greek elpis, doesn't mean hope like we might have for a lottery ticket. It means a confident expectation. It's just something we confidently expect. We just haven't experienced it yet. And so we walk through that in that chapter. And then you end your book, Mark, Closing Argument. What is it? Pat, this is where I put it all together, because the book really is a progression from one step to the next. Is there a God? If so, what kind of God is he or she or it? Once you've got that God and that kind of God, does that God care for humanity? And who are we as humans? And how do we function? And would that God have communicated with us? And did we make moral choices? And in those choices, did we make some that are sinful? Do all of us make them that are sinful? And if we do, how does sinful man live in harmony with a just moral God? Something has to be done with the sin. And so it makes sense that there's a substitutionary death, a vicarious death, in Jesus Christ, who being the Son of God doesn't simply die, but is resurrected, ascends to the right hand of the Almighty with the promise he will come again, and he will redeem humanity for eternity to be in fellowship with God, something humans can do because our sin, that, that 
moral impediment that keeps us from being in fellowship with God has been uh, remedied through the cross. And so I walk through the basics of Christian faith in the closing argument and show how each chapter adds to the other to give the most reasonable interpretation uh, of life, and that is the Christian one. Mark, what do you want our listeners to take from your book? I would love them to take a couple of things, Pat. First, that you don't take your head off the shelf when you become a Christian. It's not that Christianity is something we blindly adhere to in the face of academia. My son teaches at Oxford University in logic and philosophy, and he had a roommate who was in, uh, I had a visitor, and the visitor was an Oxford engineer. And the Oxford engineer picked up my book that my son had in, in their room and uh, uh, in their apartment and, and read it and said to my son, he says, you know, I've never before thought you could have a brain and be a Christian. <laughs> Your dad's book has just changed my mind. Mm. That's what I want people to understand. Well, I'm delighted we could visit, Mark. Congratulations on the book. By the way, before you run, uh, tell us what you do teaching biblical literacy at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston. It's my favorite thing I do. We have about 750 who show up each Sunday for class. would love to have some of your listeners, when they visit from Florida to Houston, Texas, come on by. But they can also see it online at www.biblical-literacy.com. Uh, I teach uh, uh, 750 folks each week, and we teach through the Bible. It's a Bible-based uh, uh, class. Uh, my undergraduate degrees are in Greek and Hebrew, so I try to teach as much as I can from the uh, original scriptures. And we have an absolute ball. We have videos online. We have uh, free handouts online. Everything's free. Uh, it's, it's ministry. It's, it's uh, something that we're delighted to offer to anybody who wants it. So I, I uh, have a ball doing it. Uh, this Sunday, we're in the book of Acts, and we'll be teaching through the book of Acts uh, for the next several Sundays. Well, a million thanks, Mark. I'm so glad we could hook up. Pat, got a great show. Keep being a voice for Florida. Thank you so much. Mark Lanier, author of Christianity on Trial, A Lawyer Examines the Christian Faith. It's quite a read. IVP is the publisher. Uh, we got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WT. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Today is the day you switch to Rite Aid for one simple reason. Wellness Plus, the card that gives you credits you can use like cash. Plus, discounts that only members get. Plus, 20% off almost the entire store. Plus, that's for a whole year. Plus, rewards that start today and pile on every time you shop. So, if you're tired of missing out on all the pluses only Rite Aid delivers, visit RiteAidWellness.com to sign up and learn more today about Wellness Plus. Rite Aid. With us, it's personal. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do this every weekend and always look forward to our visits with you. Uh, Dave Olson, our guest in the first half hour, uh, talking about his book, Discovering Your Leadership Style. And then we went down to Houston, and Mark Lanier joined us, one of the top trial lawyers in the United States. Uh, his new book is out. It's called Christianity on Trial. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. Uh, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my latest book is out. It's called Triumph, 105 Sports-slash-Faith-Based Stories. I think you'll really enjoy it. It is in bookstores now and uh, Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Always a terrific way to order books. In the meantime, have a great morning tomorrow with your family at church and a good week ahead. And uh, we'll catch up with you next weekend on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.